Hey everyone, and welcome back to the WaxCast episode 21, our first episode of the new year 2021. Oh, I didn't even mean for that to happen. 21st episode in year 2021, crazy stuff. But today I am joined by a friend of mine, the executive director of Republicans for National Renewal, Mark Ivano. Mark, thank you for joining us. Hello, Gavin. Appreciate you having me on. Uh, so I love your organization. I love uh, Republicans for National Renewal. You guys are a populist organization that's fighting the good fight, fighting on behalf of the uh, of the MAGA movement, the Trumpist movement here in the U.S. and and globally. And I want to delve into that uh, later in the episode, the details about the organization and what you guys are doing. But I want to start off with uh, just some crazy news that's happened over the last uh, week or so, namely uh, in regards to COVID, the never-ending COVID a pandemic that just seems to get uh, worse and worse, not in terms of the deadliness of the disease, but just in terms of the government's response. There's this video going around, this viral video. I think it's from Canada, from Quebec, uh, where they have these officers uh, dragging people out of their own home uh, for a New Year's party because they had six people or seven people in, inside the house, and apparently their neighbors ratted on them in the most Orwellian fashion. And this is just this is just getting out of control. I mean, what's going on? This is we're living through some really disgusting Orwellian times, and people are just willing to accept it under the guise of fighting COVID. What, what do you make about all this as a populist Republican yourself, running a populist Republican organization? Right, you're exactly right, Gavin. It seems like. Uh... When you hear people like Trudeau speaking about a, a great reset, um, basically you having huge governmental control being imposed on people under the guise of safety. Right. Uh, I mean, our founding, our founding fathers talked about this. You know, those who are willing to sacrifice liberty for safety deserve neither. And that's what you're seeing here. And it's not just in Canada, although that is alarming because they are our neighbor. But even in Europe, you're seeing uh, people getting arrested by masks mask-clad officers arresting someone, not social distancing, by the way, throwing somebody to the ground. Uh, even the, the, the officers' masks are falling off of their faces while they're arresting them for not wearing masks. Um, even in, uh, I was just saying over in uh, Australia as well, someone was trying to organize a protest against the lockdown over there, and they have police knocking on their door, coming inside and forcing them out of their house and arresting them. It's insane. It's insane. The worst part, I mean, not the worst part, I mean, because, you know, the, I, I objectively believe in liberty and our freedoms, regardless of the uh, the health impacts. But, you know, just to add insult to injury, these lockdowns and these mask mandates they don't even work. They don't work. They don't stop the spread. In New York City, since we had the indoor dining shutdown, the case spread has gone up. Why? Because now you're forcing people into homes and they're having house parties. They're doing all sorts of other things. And most transmission was in your own home anyway, between friends and family. It was not in public spaces. I think in restaurants, it was like 1.4%, something really low. And, and in households or whatever, it was as high as 10%. But the cases don't matter because it's asymptomatic. And if you don't have any, and I hate using that word asymptomatic because all that basically means is you're not sick. You're not sick. So who cares? Who cares? And these stupid masks, this mask cult, um, all, all it is is just a way for people to virtue signal and to moralize and to self-righteously preach about health and mask wearing when the masks don't do anything. You know, if, if you get droplets into your eyes or even your ears, you can still get infected. The masks are loose. Sometimes they don't cover your nose. They're not, uh, they're not a, they're not, they don't fix anything. They're just a panacea. They make you feel better. They make you feel better about yourself, but there's really no science to it. It's all just a bunch of, uh, it's a bunch of pseudoscience. That's all it is. Right. I saw in, uh, in New York, I think you're allowed to 
have dinner at a restaurant, right? But then you have to eat inside of an igloo made out of plastic. Right. What I saw uh, here in Austin, it's, Austin's probably the, I mean, it's obviously the most liberal place in Texas. You have a bunch of Californians there. Uh, I visit there often. I have family and friends there. And I saw, I mean, it was the craziest thing. I had some car trouble. And so I'm there on the side of the road. It's uh, 11 in the morning. And uh, I'm just working on my car. I put the, put the hood up. I'm with my brother. We're not wearing masks. I'm looking around me. And somebody's by themselves on a bench reading a book with the mask on. Jeez. Other people are riding bicycles yeah. with their masks on, glaring oh. at us. Uh, other people are driving in their cars by themselves with their masks on, also glaring at us, thinking, well, how dare these heathens uh, not wear masks when they're looking at the car? And it, so, it's... yeah, I think that's that's kind of a reflection of, uh, I guess, the more liberal cities in general. Liberal it's a states. religion. It's a cult. I mean, they gave up their own religion and they gave up uh, any kind of transcendence of uh, of greater and higher purposes, whether it's nation, family, or God. And they've replaced all of that under this new uh, religion of Fauci and masks and COVID. And, you know, this is this is insanity. These people think they're following the science. They're doing nothing that's scientific at all. It's just insanity. It's hysterics. These people have all lost their minds. Wearing masks alone inside your car. How crazy, how crazy do you have to be to do that kind of thing? And it's like they don't even see it. They can't even see the light. They're just so brainwashed and blinded. Uh, by this, by this, this mainstream media uh, propaganda, they just ate it up. And I, I saw in Austin that they were planning to also do a New York style shutdown, lockdown, all the restaurants and all the bars and things there. And then your your governor stepped in uh, to stop it. Good for him, Governor Abbott. Uh, what, what is up with these liberals destroying their own cities? They're not destroying Republican areas. They're not destroying conservative areas. They're destroying the communities that they live in, the communities that vote for them. They're destroying their own businesses, their own. Uh, cities for what? That's right. I was actually going to mention that. And so initially, uh, Adler, mayor in Austin, was really, really set on posting these restrictions, uh, lockdowns, etc. Um, and so initially, he sent out a message uh, from his timeshare in Mexico saying, hey, everyone, don't travel for the holidays. Don't meet with your family. Don't meet with your friends. Meanwhile, he's there vacationing, having a blast in Mexico. And then he tried to impose a curfew. You're right. It was, I think it was uh, 10.30 was the latest you're allowed to stay out. Uh, bars and businesses in general were supposed to close by 10.30. And uh, he got shut down very quickly by Governor Abbott. Although that said, I think there were still probably a few more paranoid businesses in Austin who still closed and went with the order despite not even having to. Well, they deserve whatever comes to them then. If they close down and they lose business, then that's their own stupidity. I mean, you know, I, I got no sympathy for people who are just buying into this nonsense wholesale. You need to be a little skeptical. You need to question things. And you just need to use some logic and sense. I mean, you know, they're spoon feeding you a lot of nonsense about COVID and people are just buying into it to their own detriment. And that's why they're all miserable and they're all lonely and, and they're taking out their misery and loneliness on people who aren't complying, like maybe you or me or whoever. Um, that's all it is. It's just become really just like a cult. And I saw this video of like, uh, that this, this, this disgusting, uh, dwarf looking man, uh, at some supermarket in the Midwest where he was like badgering some old woman for not wearing a mask. It's like, you know, they're getting power trips over this. It's it's just like a mass psychosis. It's all psychology. It's just it's just a way for people to feel better about themselves. Right. Yeah. Um, I was out uh, one evening uh, a few months ago in Austin. Again in Austin. One, right in Austin. It's always in Austin. It doesn't really happen in Houston that much. Right. Um, and I went to. I was out at a 
a bar down in Austin and uh, with some friends. And um, someone was saying, hey, uh, you need to wear your mask. Even though we're outside, put on your mask. You're too close to me. We're about three feet away from their table uh, playing one of those. Uh, it's like a ring and there's a hook and you try to get the ring into the hook. It's on a string. Just a little game yeah. that they have at some bars. And uh, this guy's pulling down his mask to yell at us, saying, you need to put your mask on. I said, well, you just pulled your mask down. If you had the China virus, we'd have it now. Uh, he wasn't very happy about that, and eventually they left. But um, it was insane. And if you look at the chronology of how this has happened, right, so it started with two weeks to flatten the curve. The biggest joke of 2020. Uh, I remember now I'm working from home. It's just two weeks. That's fine. Here we are today. Uh, before today, they were saying, uh, oh, that's right. We're just waiting for the vaccine. Once we have the vaccine, then we can go back to normal. It's just like the flu so that when we have a vaccine, everything's fine. Now they're saying, no, you get the vaccine. You still have to wear a mask. And then I'm seeing articles coming out where they say a nurse got the vaccine. One week later, she contracted the virus. Right. So what are we to do? I guess the, the vaccine and uh, the goalposts keep moving. I mean, they're never going to relinquish this power that they they got. They're never going to relinquish this control over people because that's all this is. It's control. It's power. This disease has a ninety nine point something percent survival rate. It's even higher depending if you're younger and in good health. Um, you know, and it all and all they're doing really it seems because if you look at the death count for all causes by year. You know, 2020 is not that far off from previous years. It may be, it may end up a little higher. I have to see the final data, but it's it's in line with the last few years worth of data. So all that means is that a ton of people uh, that were going to die anyway from whatever cause are now being categorized as COVID deaths. So they're just recategorizing deaths because they may have had an asymptomatic. Uh, presence or case of COVID, but they could have died from anything. They could have died from the flu. They could have died from pneumonia. They could have died from, you know, a gunshot wound. And they're just reporting all these deaths as COVID. And even then, even with the inflated numbers of COVID deaths, the survival rate is still 99.7%. And that's with therapeutics. That's with a vaccine on the way. So it seems like they're just looking to just really the great reset, change the world. And it's going on globally. And and no one seems to want to fight back outside of, you know, a few Republicans and conservatives. Right. And so that's why part of why I'm very happy that I'm in Texas. Uh, couldn't imagine being you know, over in New York, even New Jersey. And I saw you were uh, you've been known as quite the rabble rouser up there uh, for going across state lines to uh, hold an event in a very large facility. Right. Yeah. I mean, look, we follow the laws. They wrote these little laws that don't make any sense. And they're all, uh, you know, inconsistent. They made carve outs for themselves, you know, thinking that they would use it for their own, you know, BLM or Antifa rallies, whatever it is. We happen to be Republicans with balls. So we use those laws to our advantage. And now they're all upset and throwing a hissy fit over it. But, you know, that that's the that's the age we're living in. It's just hypocrisy, uh, ad nauseum. I mean, but I also want to talk to you because you're also uh you're pretty uh, involved in a lot of international politics, the international populist movement. Um, and there are a few places that are doing things a little better, a little more normal outside of the U.S., you know, a place like, say, Brazil uh, and our friend Bolsonaro down in Brazil. What do you what do you make of what's going on in Brazil and how Bolsonaro and maybe other you know, more right wing populist leaders have been handling this uh, this covid uh, this covid uh, nonsense? Right. Well, I've seen that uh, Bolsonaro has been uh, very outspoken against it. Um, I think he. I think Jair Bolsonaro said something along the lines of, uh, was it uh, only homosexuals wear the masks? Uh, something along those lines. Uh, but I mean, his point, I can agree with this, his point where, you know, typically if you're going to be wearing that mask, even when 
you know, you're around a bunch of people or you're touching it all the time or it doesn't fit properly. Why are you even wearing it aside from your own personal fear? Right. Uh, so I think that probably the more right wing areas across the world who are dealing with this issue, they're being far more reasonable. Uh, if you can go to a grocery store full of people wearing the mask probably isn't going to help you out. Uh, you know, take the risk on your own. Um, if you if you are worried and you have a legitimate health concern, then that's understandable. But then don't go out to crowded places. Right. Uh, well, that's that's the insanity that, you know, you can't, you know, sit in a restaurant at 25 percent capacity with, you know, dividers and the fans and all the different precautions and measures they've taken. But you can go to a Walmart and you can cram into a Walmart, you know, neck, uh, you know, shoulder to shoulder. You could cram into an international flight shoulder to shoulder. But that's fine. But you can't eat in a socially distanced restaurant. I mean, this just seems designed, designed. These policies just seem designed to destroy small businesses, destroy all the non-corporate economic activities in this country and centralize more wealth and power in a few people, an oligarchy. And that seems to be going on across the world. So, you know, you talk about these conspiracy theories, you know, this great reset, whatever the hell it is, you know, it's happening. It's happening. And they've, they've gained tons of power. And we've seen how sociopathic a lot of these governors are. I mean, Cuomo is a textbook sociopath. I mean, he is not going to relinquish control unless he gets, you know, unless we fight back against him, we push back and he gets sued or he gets shut down by SCOTUS because that's the only times we've seen victories here. And people are just hoping that this is going to go away. It's not going to go away until we fight back. Right. So COVID is a perfect subterfuge. Uh, I mean, the government could do all kinds of things to keep us really safe. Uh, For example, uh, some people's houses burn down and sometimes people die in those fires. What the government could do to prevent fires is have a bureaucrat come to your house every night at 10 p.m. and make sure the stove is off, make sure no candles are still burning. Uh, they could do that and you'd be probably, we'd probably have a few less deaths from fires in the house. Right. Uh, they could probably force all car manufacturers to install a breathalyzer interlock on the steering wheel of every single car sold in America. That would probably substantially drive down deaths from drunk driving. But the beauty about America and the whole system is that you're allowed to take risks. The government can't stop you from taking certain reasonable risks. Uh, likewise, with COVID, you are you should be able to make the risk. If you know you're going somewhere and there's going to be a lot of people there, uh, you can take that risk knowing that there might be a chance that you could be in contact with somebody who has it, but hopefully you're not. I mean, I went out grocery shopping within those two weeks of flattening the curve. And uh, I was at um, Kroger and I'm looking around at the meat section and someone kind of walks up and standing about a foot from me. And there's signs all over the place saying social distance. So I'm thinking, what are we even doing here? And we're supposed to be social distancing. And I'm looking at this guy next to me. People are walking right in front of me. Um, people have their masks halfway down. I thought, what a joke. You can't force all these people to follow these rules. Uh, Medical theater, medical theater. But, you know, some people are. I mean, I think it just depends on the part of the country. I mean, here in New York, I mean, I get glared at all the time for not wearing a mask. No one ever says anything to me. I think it's because I have resting bitch face. But, you know, I I would want them to say something because I would just love to eviscerate them and just point out how stupid and obnoxious they are with these dumb masks. Um, But it it never seems to end. But this is just a litany of issues we're already facing going into 2021, carryovers from 2020. I mean, but there are some good news. There are some things on the horizon. I want to shift gears a bit. Uh, You know, we've been because, you know, you're first and foremost a political organization, not so much a medical one. 
Um, but we've been seeing what's been going on in Congress, and it seems like there is some momentum building uh, for this January 6th showdown in terms of uh, the certification of these slates of electors. And it seems like a lot of uh, 140 members of the House and about 12 members of the Senate as of now are planning to object. Um, and these objections, you know, they have a historical precedent, I think, in 1876 with uh, Rutherford B. Hayes versus uh, Samuel Tilden. Um, and they had a similar showdown there, and then it ended up being the election went to uh, Rutherford B. Hayes, despite Tilden winning, you know, more electoral votes and the popular vote. So, I mean, there is some precedent here. What do you think is going on? Do you think this is a positive development? You still think Trump has a chance with all this? Yes, uh, I think he absolutely has a chance. Um, we have a lot of people lining up to be on Trump's side. But I think, unfortunately, we have a lot of establishment rhinos against Trump. And I would argue they're actually probably worse than the radical left. Because yep. with the radical left, at least you know where they stand. Right. They're against you. Whereas with the rhinos, they'll give a flowery speech. You know, we, we support Trump 100%. Uh, we support his policies. And then when push comes to shove and they show the true colors, then they vote against Trump and his policies. But by then, it's already too late. You can't really change any minds, and it's already happened. Right. Whereas with the radical left, you already know from the get-go. Um, and so, yeah, I think we need to, especially after January 6th, we're going to know where people stand. And I foresee plenty of establishment types being primaried in 2022. I think it's just a matter of time. Uh, I believe the National Populist Movement and R&R is where a lot of the grassroots and the GOP pace lies. Um, they support us. They support President Trump and his agenda far more than they support the establishment. And so I think uh, more so than probably in our lifetime, at least, we're going to see that come to fruition. And that that's that's a good thing. I mean, I think a lot of times there's been a lot of these people who were, you know, Johnny come lately is they they adapted to Trump uh, after he won in 16 because they wanted to ride his coattails. But they were never true believers. They said some things, but it was always kind of phony and constructed. And the second the chips were down, you know, they stuck the knife right into his back and twisted it because they were never true believers. They were never aligned with the grassroots. They were never aligned with the message. They were always you know, these liberal internationalist corporatists, you know, the Mitch McConnell's, the, the Paul Ryan's of the world. And, you know, th th that's this is why we can't just vote just because they have an R next to their name. The primaries are important. We should be having rigorous competitive primaries. We should always have a primary. We should never just vote just because they're a Republican. We need to be we need to have some discernment. And I would especially encourage that in deep red states. I can understand you know, if you're in a deep blue state or you're in a purple state, you need to make some concessions, be more pragmatic because they're always going to be better. That's fine. But the problem is, is we have all these these R's from deep, deep, deep Republican conservative states. That's what I have an issue with. I really don't even have that much of an issue with, say, the, uh, uh, you know, the um, what's her name in, in Maine? Uh, can't remember her name for a second. Um, who's the senator in Maine? The Republican? Uh -huh. Yeah, it's, I can't think of it right now. Oh, either. my God. I'm planking out. But whatever her <laughs> name is, um, yeah. let me – hold on. Let me let me just look this up because I am literally forgetting the senator's name from Maine. Susan Collins. My God. Susan Collins. Okay. Um, you know, I don't mind her there because she's from a purple state. But do you think I have a problem with people like uh, Thune or McConnell or, you know, previously Flake and Corker and, and Graham and all these people from deep Republican states just – 
being total wimps and total limp wrists and not wanting to do anything and just go along to get along, that I have no patience for. And that's why your organization is critical because you're working within the party infrastructure, not this nonsense about starting a new party, which unfortunately, I, I understand the sentiment. I would love that to happen. It'll never work because we have a, a first past the post system and it just does not allow the formations of two party of multiple parties. And you would just kill the Republicans and kill yourself and the Democrats would win everything. Um, but it is important to work within the party, which is what you guys are doing, right? Right, that's 100% right. Uh, Republicans for National Neural basically wants to work within the party and push it towards President Trump and his agenda. Um, you're right in that it would be a complete waste of time to try to start a new party, although it does sound tempting. Um, we do need less John Thunes in the Senate, more people who actually believe in the president's agenda. Uh, and also, it's not just about Congress as well, as you pointed out. Um, the state elections matter a lot as well, and so do the primaries. And I would argue the primary might even be more important. Uh, we need state party chairs like Alan West here in Texas. He's been great. Uh, we connected with him when he ran. Uh, Kelly Ward in Arizona. Yep. Uh, people who boldly push things in the right direction. And as we've seen in the last 10 weeks or so, even the state elected officials, the governors, the state house speakers, and the majority leaders, they really all need to be on the same page as the president. Or you end up with situations like we've seen in Arizona, Georgia, and Michigan where they're effectively helping Biden become president. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. And you said it right. It's the primary process that's important. That's why I'm telling people who are trying to, you know, sabotage what's going on in Georgia. It's like, listen, both those senators there, I think they're bad candidates, uh, Leffler and Purdue, but I think they're decent senators. They have good voting records for the most part. I wasn't really pleased with this recent NDA vote, but before this, Purdue was like in the top 10 in terms of people who voted with Trump, same with Leffler. Um, so they're still way, way, way ahead and way better than uh, people like Warnock and people like uh, Asif. And this is also hinges, you know, the whole control of the Senate. They get united government. We're all screwed. We're never going to win an election again. Um, but if you really want to take your anger out, do it in the primaries. Primary them. Don't don't spite our faces in the general election. That's just stupid. That's what the Dems want us to do. You got to just, if you're going to engage in politics, you're going to have to hold your nose sometimes, but engage in the primary process, get involved in your party, take over your local party, become a district leader, become a precinct captain, whatever term they have in your state, a committee member, you know, influence the local party, involve yourself in the primary process, take over your local institutions, your local clubs, whatever they are, and shift them to the right, shift them to become more populist, more conservative, more nationalist. But do not screw ourselves over in the general um, and let Democrats win. That's the most ass-backward strategy in my view. Do you agree? Yes, 100%. Um, and in fact, I think that's probably the most effective thing is to pay attention to the primaries uh, and work on that front. I think the probably the average voter doesn't realize that um, I know probably 10 years ago, I didn't realize that either. I thought, well, I'll just vote when the election comes around. And I know plenty of people who do the same thing. Uh, primaries aren't really important to them. They just, uh, for some reason or another, they really aren't into it. For Because uh, it's not, I guess it doesn't get as much media attention maybe. Right. But it's 100% very crucial, especially in these times when you have people of the same party but they are so different when it comes to the ideology and policies they support. And that's part of what R&R has been doing. Uh, we've been setting up new young Republican groups throughout the country, uh, basically run by national populist activists. Uh, for example, in Washington state of all places, we have four. Uh, we're working on setting up new ones in Kansas, Connecticut, Colorado, and Michigan. And also a big credit goes to Dio Buxiguez, uh, Seth Siegel, and Bonquai Bryant, who I know you're familiar with, Gavin. 
Yeah, uh, they have people. done. Yeah, they have done a tremendous job in helping to set up these national populist young Republican groups, and that's basically where R and R comes in. Is that not only working on an international front, finding allies where we can, we're also going from the grassroots and also the young Republican groups, which I think people underestimate them tremendously, but um, they actually have a lot of influence and can do great things. Agreed. As a young Republican myself, it's 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 critical to build something from the base up. You can't have this top down approach. You need a localized approach where you're influencing the grassroots, where you're building local structures and infrastructure outside of the party, because sometimes the party is is too far gone or it takes a much longer time to to co-opt it. The local infrastructure, whether it's Republican clubs, young Republican clubs, college Republicans, all these different auxiliary groups are critical to the party building, the party formation influence all these different things. And if you can embed yourself in them, you'll create a lasting movement that doesn't just, you know, come and go, that doesn't exist just in the beltway or in these think tanks, which really don't do anything. I've never heard of a white paper really, you know, changing anything on the ground for most people's lives. Um, and, and, you know, I think a big problem in the Trump administration was that he, he ran on this national populist message and he got elected, but there wasn't really uh, the infrastructure intellectually or in terms of the grassroots behind him outside of his campaign that could have provided, you know, say the, the, the human capital to staff his administration with people who were aligned with him. So what you ended up happening is when he took over, he went through the typical Republican sources to staff his administration. It was the think tanks. It was the Beltway. And all these people... Uh, who may have been who may be Republicans and maybe we agree with them on some issues, you know, they were more, say, uh, neoliberal. They were more libertarian. They were more rhino. They were, they were much more of a rhino. And they staffed the administration that really, uh, you know, that really held him back the first four years combined with the, what the Democrats did. And that's why the second term was so critical because uh, he would have not had that issue anymore. He learned from his mistakes. The staffing was getting better. The appointments, the policy, everything was getting better. Um, that's why it's a real shame. I mean, do you agree that's been a huge problem? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I think the movement that President Trump has started uh, is not only unique, but I think also legendary here in the United States. Um, and you're right that he was kind of tapping into resources from this old establishment, but also trying to innovate this national populist movement here. And so that does cause problems. Uh, it was very new in 2016. Uh, it was difficult for people to kind of get in line with President Trump and his agenda um, but since then, I think since 2016, it's become a lot bigger and better established. I think we're starting to finally see things settle a little bit more. Uh, you've got people like Corey Stewart at Commerce and Mark Lloyd at USAID filling up those lower federal positions that were previously occupied by career bureaucrats or RNC establishment political appointees. And we really want to help move that along and build it further. Uh, I think that we're going to see especially this, this month alone, we're going to see a lot of big things happening in Congress. Um, although I can't announce anything right now, I'd urge your audience to stay tuned on this front as we have some big announcements to make early next year or early this month or not early this month. Later this month, um, we have some big announcements coming up. Still getting used to 2021. Um, but yeah, stay tuned for that. Um, we're definitely busy at work and uh, I think everyone's going to appreciate what we come out with. I Like I said, you guys are doing God's work. I'm a big supporter of you. I think the populist movement uh, is international. It's growing. It's here to stay. Uh, and it's the only thing that both, uh, you know, it, it's ideologically sound, but it's also uh, politically 
uh, feasible. And I think if anything, you know, building this working class populist coalition is the only thing to guarantee Republican wins going forward. Country club, rhino, chamber of commerce, Republicanism is not going to win elections at the federal, state or local level. There's no appeal for that. Um, the only appeal that has is to the donor class and the donor class has shown that they're not aligned with the American people's interests. We saw it most recently with the vote on the stimulus and these checks. You know, they were very happy to send money overseas. They were very happy to spend money on corporate handouts. But when it comes to direct targeted aid to Americans who have suffered under this COVID lockdown, who have been driven into destitution, not because of their own, you know, fault, not because of something they did, but because what of their government, because what their government mandated, the Republicans were and and the establishment Dems did not seem interested uh, in supporting them, and that's why I, I really have to give you know a lot of credit where credit is due to people like Senator Hawley and even across the aisle with some populist left wingers uh, who are in line with us on some of these issues, and I think there could be some true bipartisan. Uh, you know, uh, initiatives on some of these key policy issues between the populist right and the populist left. The problem is the establishment in both parties are preventing that. And it's really the uniparty, uh, this Democrat Republican uniparty that we're up against and the factions within them are, are struggling to fight against them. Hopefully that'll change soon. Um, but what did you make of that? And the, everything I just described in the vote that we just saw, you know, and all the nonsense maneuvering by Mitch McConnell uh, to basically sabotage this vote from the get go. Right. What they've done with that bill is, uh, frankly, almost criminal, Gavin. Um, to imagine that we've suffered through all these lockdowns, uh, so many businesses that I know of around here have closed down, all across the country have closed down, Americans are suffering. And while as right-leaning people, as national populists, we typically are not in favor of hand handouts or welfare, so to speak, but this is clearly a unique issue. And to think that we're giving $10 million to Pakistan for a gender program, uh, giving millions to Costa Rica to have female officers in their police force, uh, just throwing money around to everywhere else, and then giving Americans 600 or 2000 which is still measly compared to the millions of dollars we're handing out. And, and if you count in purchase, like, you know, a dollar in New York doesn't just go as far as a dollar in Texas. So 2000 in New York is nothing. That doesn't even cover one month's rent for a lot of people. I mean, 600 is literally just, you know, a let them eat cake moment. Right, exactly. You're just getting peanuts for that. And uh, it's, and I think that's part of why national populist movement has gained momentum. I think even people who are center left are starting to come around a little bit, or yeah. at least being skeptical because they're thinking, wait a minute, why are we taking care of everyone else but not us? And I think that's also why the movement transcends where you grew up in, uh, what country you live in. For example, me and you were on a panel with Lega Giovanni in Italy. Yep. You know, you're in New York. I'm in Texas. They're in Italy. But we all understand that this is the right way to go. I think it's intuitive in the fact that the analogy I like to use is a family. We all usually come from a family. And the family, the family members come first. Yep. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't donate, you can't participate in charity, you can't help out other people. But could you imagine uh, starving children and their parents are there in the house, they cook up a meal, and instead of giving it to the children, they walk across the street and give it to the neighbors. And then they come back, and maybe they bring some peas or uh, some of the crumbs and say, here you go, just enough for you to survive. I think we all know, even people on the left know that's wrong. Yep. Uh, and so... But that's what American government's been doing for the last decade, the last few decades. Um, I think people are getting wise to it, and they're not going to take it much longer. 
Agree. The managed decline, the America last movement. I mean, what you just described was family as the model for the state. And I think that's a great concept. I think, you know, the, the building block of society is not the individual, it's the family. And the families are what propel society forward. That's what gives people fulfillment in their lives. And it's this hyper individualistic, hedonistic, neoliberalism or libertarianism, whatever you want to say, that's really corrupted our party. It's corrupted a lot of the West and it's really driven us uh, into this, this several decades long decline in terms of both economic prosperity and, and, and our cultural institutions and whatever it is. And, and it's, 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 it's sickening to see what's going on, um, in the country at large. But I also wanted to, um, uh, touch on, uh, you know, what you also brought up in terms of, you know, some of these center left voters. I think that's a huge voting block that hasn't really been properly tapped into until Trump, because I think a huge chunk of the country were a little more left economically and maybe they were more moderate to right wing socially and they never had a party that represented them since the Democrats shifted left and the Republicans, uh, you know, basically embraced, you know, this sort of free trade absolutism and, and corporatism. And they were kind of left in the dust, this kind of, you know, the, the, the working class, so to speak, the Rust Belt voters, the blue collar masses. Um, what we're positioning, what we want to position the party to do is to tap into that, those Obama Trump voters, those uh, blue dog Dems, those Reagan Democrats, all these people that never fit within the, you know, the traditional Republican mold. That's a huge untapped audience that I don't even think Trump maximized it to the fullest. And I think there's still a lot of potential to grow that. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, 100%. In fact, I've talked to some people and shared some of, uh, you know, R&R's ideas, President Trump's ideas and, you know, told them why it made sense. And a lot of times they're thinking, yeah, yeah, I can agree with that, but uh, I'm not with them on, uh, you know, this on healthcare, for example, right. uh, we want universal healthcare. So I just can't agree, but I like everything else. Yeah. And so you're right. And that, that's, that's a great start. I think these lockdowns the silver lining for them is that it's actually pushing, I think a lot of people who would be those moderate liberals just to be moderate on the right. Uh, even just looking at, I don't know if you've noticed this, but I certainly have on uh, Facebook, for example. Every single day, there is a COVID article. Same news organizations, usually local news or ABC, for example. Every single day, you're seeing something about COVID, how dangerous it is, how horrible it is. Uh, some allegedly uh, healthy 45-year-old died of COVID who also happened to have a heart attack. Uh, somebody was in a fatal car accident and died of COVID. But either way, you're seeing all the headlines uh, based on this. And even before on New Year's Eve, they let out an article saying, please don't go out, please don't do anything. And a lot of the comments, and I imagine not all were these were right-wing people. They were saying, no, sorry, I'm going to go out. Uh, hey, y'all said two weeks. Uh, people were just completely fed up with it. And it seemed like ideology, political leanings didn't really matter. Yep. People were just sick of it. And I think that when they see who's in charge of imposing these regulations and rules, they might change their mind when they vote. That, that's true. It's a great silver lining. And I think, you know, they take most people to be stupid. And I think most people like to tune out. I do think they like to just live their own lives and just not think about politics, not think about the world at large. But this kind of stuff, these lockdowns and this COVID policies really hits people right at home in terms of their daily life, their daily routines. And that's when they're going to start paying attention. And they're doing things that are really waking up people uh, to the madness that's going on. And people could still use logic and see how none of these rules make sense. None of them are scientific. It's all just theater. And it's it's causing a sort of uh, it's it's boiling up. And maybe a lot of people are scared to say it publicly. But I know a lot of people personally, and I'm sure you do as well, uh, considering how, how many times you go to Austin. Um, but I'm sure you know a lot of people as well who, you know, they may not say it publicly, but deep down, 
behind closed doors, they'll tell you how stupid all this nonsense is. They'll tell you how fed up they are. And that is only building up the longer they drag this out for. And I think it's only going to play well into people like, you know, us, people on the nationalist populist right who are trying to galvanize this, this discontent, this, 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 this anxiety that's been brewing against the elites, against the powers that be. And we're going to see, you know, a lot of radical changes in this country, both for good and for the better over the next four years, regardless of what happens for Trump. Because if Trump's gone, the movement's here to stay. It's not just dependent on him. He initiated it. He started it. He breathed, he breathed new life into it. But it's going to move forward, and that's why I'm glad uh, what you're doing at R&R and many other organizations. But I want to leave the last word to you. Uh, just tell us a bit more about what R&R is doing, what you guys have ahead, and then please let us know how they can follow you and they can follow the organization and how to support you guys. Sure. I appreciate that, Gavin. Uh, basically, to make it brief, uh, we are a political nonprofit, and we're dedicated to transforming the Republican Party into a national populist party, as we talked about earlier uh, we basically want to take President Trump's agenda from 2016 and run with it. And as you said, whether or not President Trump remains, if the election's stolen, we'll still be here. We'll still be pushing the agenda and we'll still be setting up for a 2024 run. Um, if we do prevail in January, then we'll continue with his agenda. Uh, definitely can't rest on that. Uh, even if even if we secure the win, you can never rest. Uh, probably even be a tougher fight. Amen. Uh, but basically, yeah, basically R&R's. Our main platform is we are for protecting American workers on trade, stopping illegal immigration, but also reducing legal immigration in order to give the American working class a chance at decent wages and opportunities. Uh, we want to work on stopping big tech censorship, which is really run amok these days. I'm sure you've seen it. I've seen it. Uh, they're not even trying to hide it. Uh, we also want to encourage restoring our own infrastructure, which imagine if uh, 10 million had come our way for our infrastructure. Um, that would have done a tremendous amount of work for us. Uh, but also staying out of endless wars, which President Trump has been doing very well at. And we basically want to shift, shift party policy in Trump's direction. Um, and yeah, uh, please follow RNR on Twitter at RN Renewal and on Facebook at Republicans for National Renewal. Uh, I can be reached via email at Ivanyo at rnrenewal.org. And Ivanyo just being my last name. Also, please follow me on Twitter at Mark Ivano. Uh, we certainly have some future online events planned for the coming months. And uh, assuming this COVID hysteria dies down, which is a big if, uh, we'll hopefully be having in-person events in Washington, New York, and South Florida metropolitan areas. Uh, we'll also have a presence, probably an event, and a booth at the 2021 CPAC in Orlando. So if any of your audience is around, uh, please stop by. Uh, thanks again for having me, Gavin. It's been great. It's been a real pleasure. I know we had some technical issues uh, the other week, but uh, glad we've solved that. And uh, I'll probably try to make it up to New York at the end of this month. So awesome. up and, uh, we'll grab a some beer money. somewhere, maybe out in the freezing cold, unless they open up indoor dining again. But I appreciate that, man. I encourage everyone to check out R&R online. Uh, you guys had a great event uh, last CPAC with uh, Bolsonaro. I intend to be at Orland in Orlando uh, this year for the other CPAC, and I'm looking forward to catching up with you guys. But anyway, guys, please stay tuned for more WaxCast episodes. It's going to be a great 2021 for us. We've uh, been breaking some uh, milestones in terms of downloads, so keep downloading. If you're on iTunes, don't forget to don't forget to leave us a review and stay tuned for more episodes of the WaxCast coming very soon. Thanks. Guys.